unattached. So my wife grew up in China and she told me that there was a story that all the villagers knew that one of the old men that lived in the village had eaten a baby. So uh, he didn't do this for fun or because he was some kind of maniac or something like that, but rather he did it because he was starving to death back in the Cultural Revolution. A baby died and apparently he just thought, well, man's got to eat. Here's, here's some meat, and that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Now, who knows? Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not true. Uh, you know, kids tell stories, uh, villages, or like breeding grounds for rumors. Who knows? Who knows? But all you need to know, really, is that everybody considered it well within the realm of possibility. Right? That here's just a man walking around, living his life, that at one point was so hungry that he thought, I'm going to eat this baby. Now, uh, frankly, this is unimaginable in America in 2021. Unimaginable, right? The, the United States invented obese homeless people. Nobody starves to death in the United States, right? You, you see a homeless person... And they're not starving to death. They, they actually had to invent new words uh, to fill the place of like the hungry poor person. Now they have to say food insecurity, which well and truly does not mean starving to death because nobody starves to death in the United States. Nobody has starved to death in the United States or even come close since the 1930s. And that was only because, you know, government was destroying food intentionally to try to keep food prices high. Nothing close has ever happened since. My son told me the other day that he wanted to try not eating for a meal because he's never gone even one meal in his life without eating and eating all that he wants and have more, right? We are so far away from the idea that someone could eat a baby because they need to. It's just completely unimaginable. So how did they get there, right? How did they get there? Well, think about China in World War II, right? You, you, you might think that things got that bad because they were in the middle of World War II. They were fighting the Japanese Nobody was able to help them because everybody else is in the middle of a world war. No, it didn't get that bad during World War II. Things were better during World War II than they got later. That's how bad things got in China in the 1960s, that World War II would have been an improvement. So remember what was going on. They were trying pathetically to defend themselves against the Japanese, but the, the only reason why Japan didn't conquer them is because they're too small and they were distracted by the war in the Pacific. So World War II ends and China goes straight into a civil war. The socialists, the communists led by Mao Zedong versus the Kuomintang. The socialists who were being armed and funded by the Soviet Union won. Shockingly won. Drove 
the Kuomintang to what's now Taiwan. They take over the country, but initially they don't actually institute very much real socialism. Right. That's hard. And mostly people don't like it. First, you've got to establish your dictatorship. But eventually they did. In the 1960s, they decide, OK, we've been saying this thing. Let's actually institute real socialism or as close as you can get to it. Now, often you hear people say, well, that wasn't real socialism. Right. Real socialism requires democratic control over the means of production. But remember, no socialist would think that, you know, until, you know, the last 20 years or so, right? Uh, until the last 20 years or so, socialism meant an ending of private property. That's what it meant. Now, exactly how you got there, you could have dictatorship, you could have dictatorship of the proletariat. Some people thought you could have a, uh, 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 an anarcho-socialism, fine, but what they all held in common was the end of private property. So that's what China decided to do. Let's really do this thing, the end of private property. And that's when the suffering really began. Not World War II, not the Civil War, which God knows we're bad enough. But the Cultural Revolution, the Great Leap Forward, these were the things that brought China to its knees. Now, you don't think of China as being the best argument for free markets, but they are, right? Often when you try to look and like, free markets versus socialism, you kind of think, well, I don't know. It's a different culture. It's a different time. It's a but da 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 do China is an amazing example, maybe the premier example, uh, because China went really far down the road of socialism, really far down the road. I mean, they really tried to abolish private property. Now, some people think, well, okay, you know, they, they, in the 1970s, they figured out, okay, we can do socialism a little bit better. Let's try it this little different way. No, that's not what happened at all. Here's what happened. They tried their damnedest to do socialism and it failed and failed and failed again. It was baby eating failure. So what finally turned things around? Mao died. That's it. Mao died. So Mao dies. What happens? Well, the, the leadership realizes, oh, shit, we've got to get our act together. We need to you know keep a lid on this thing. So what do you do? Well, the first thing you need to do is you need to secure the capital, secure the armed forces, make sure that you uh, have complete power over those things. So they took their eye off the ball, particularly in the south. Right. So the south is where you have like Shenzhen and Shanghai, and it's pretty distant from Beijing. Right. Beijing is the center of power, but it's not the center of commerce and really never has been the center of commerce. Right. Like Shanghai is a great port city. Shenzhen is right across the bay from Hong Kong. And, it uh, you know, all of those places are the traditional centers of trade, centers of commerce. So now uh, Beijing is taking its eyes off the ball on these places in the south. So what happens? Well, what happens is people do what they do when they get a little bit of freedom, just a little bit of freedom, right? They start trading with each other. They start saying, I'll plant in this field and you plant in that field and you keep what you grow and I keep what I grow. And they started moving. Right. So China under the socialists had tried to lock it down that you had to live where the government told you. 
But of course, this is wildly inefficient. The government's never going to be able to figure that shit out. And they certainly didn't in the case of China. So people started moving, right? Young people started moving to take jobs in the cities. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, factories started realizing, oh, we can hire all of these, uh, th these uh, you know, people that are coming from the countryside. The factories are producing better and cheaper than they ever did before. The people coming from the countryside are suddenly earning more than they ever could. They're sending money back home. Everybody's better off. And they're making so much money that when Beijing finally realizes, okay, we've got this stuff under control, they now look up and realize, holy shit, you know, like the city of Shanghai is producing more than the rest of the country combined. And they just they just knew there was no way back. People imagine that like uh, uh, Stalin and, and, and Mao and things like this, they didn't really believe in socialism. They did. Right. Like as, as the records have come out later, we now know more and more. They really believed it, or at least they really believed it enough to stake their country's life, their country's reputation on doing it. They really tried to do it. But when the people looked up and realized, oh, my God, we have been trying for the last 15 years to make this work. And all it's led is to baby eating. And now we let our foot off the brakes for like five minutes. And Shanghai is more prosperous than it's been in the entire period under socialism. They just knew they couldn't go back, right? Now, of course, they weren't willing to completely take their foot off the you know, necks of the Chinese people, and they never have been. But the truth is, ever since Mao died, there has been more freedom, more prosperity, and more markets than ever before. The freer they get, the richer they get. These are the same people, and I don't mean the same like society, although of course that's true too. I mean literally the same people, right? There are people alive today that were alive before the communist revolution, during and after. If you, you can see it written into the bodies of those people. You go back and you find a person that's very old and they're short and they're stooped. You go now to Shanghai, to Shenzhen, you find young people, they are tall, they are healthy, and they are fat, and their grandmothers are thrilled. They are thrilled. If you go back and you look at like um, drawings of like a, 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 of what, you know, how great socialism was going to be like in the 1950s, when they show pictures of babies, they're always enormously exaggeratedly fat. Why? Why? Because the real babies didn't get enough to eat. My wife was sometimes fed with a little bit of rice flour and water because her mother couldn't produce enough milk because she didn't have enough to eat. That's a person that's middle-aged right now, right? So you see uh, uh, those fat young people and the grandmothers couldn't be happier because they look like the actual uh, embodiment of what those propaganda posters from the 1950s promised. But it was never socialism that brought about fat children. No, socialism brought about eating underfed babies. It was markets, markets, even imperfect markets, that gave us a generation of overweight Chinese. And we should be grateful. We should be thrilled. We should be overjoyed that tens, maybe hundreds of millions of people have the chance in their life to be 